0: I invite you at this time to turn with me in your Pew Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 verses 14 through 34, where we find our pew Bible, or our reading this morning. Pew Bible page, 1637, 1637. starting the reading in verse 7. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. That is the reading of the Word of God. May He bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of His people. Um, as I considered what would be uh, beneficial for us as we approach Holy Week, as we approach uh, the time of year in the calendar when we consider that last week of Jesus' life, uh, as He came into Jerusalem and as He had this... Passover Good Friday moment and as he went to the cross. And what, what would be a good way to do that? And I thought maybe, uh, maybe it would be interesting. Maybe it would be a good experience, a good um, opportunity for us to see Easter through the eyes of somebody else, through the eyes of maybe one of the disciples. And I landed on seeing Easter through the eyes of Peter Peter is one of the disciples that um, I'm quite fond of. I think he goes through the whole racket, the whole range of experience. He experiences all the ups and downs of being a follower of Jesus in this week leading up to Easter. And uh, I thought it would be helpful for us if we vicariously, that word vicariously means experienced in the imagination through the feelings or actions of another person, through Peter's eyes. Now, we're all going to be drawn through Peter's eyes to Christ, who this is all about, to Jesus. But also, at the same time, we might be able to experience, through Peter's experience, some universal truths about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a believer, what it means to have faith in Christ, what it means to follow Christ and to live for Christ and to be willing even to die for Christ. So I hope you'll join us on this journey as we see Easter through the eyes of Peter. I began with this particular moment, this moment of the Passover, this moment of gathering with his disciples, because in the the Gospel of Luke, there's a very interesting interaction between Jesus and Peter that we do not find in the other Gospels. And I think the reason why it's here, the reason why we find it here, is because this particular Rendering of this moment presents to us um, something that's true about the Christian life. And that is this, our promised future is purchased through present suffering. Our promised future is purchased through present suffering. We have three points this morning. Number one is fulfillment in the kingdom, verses 14 through 18. Number two is remembrance in the present, verse 19 through 30. And number three is a prayer of perseverance, verse 31 through 34. So let's look at that first point, fulfillment in the kingdom. Um, Of course, we have to take note of how uh, timely it is that uh, Jesus is gathering together with his disciples to participate in the Passover. To participate in the Passover feast. This would be something that the Jewish people have done throughout generations, going all the way back to the exodus, Going all the way back to that moment in which uh, the people of Israel did not receive judgment. They were passed over because they slaughtered a lamb, they feasted on the lamb, and they spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Right. So Jesus then, he gathers his disciples for this particular moment. In verse 14, it even tells us, Luke tells us, when the hour came, that this is timely, this is providential. Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, of this moment, I have eagerly desired, I've had a passion to eat this Passover with you, before what? Before I suffer. And then in verse 16, he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Here in the Gospel of Luke, we find this contrast between what Jesus is explaining about his present experience, what he's about to go through, what he's about to suffer, and the promise of the future. This tension that we find here in this narrative between what Jesus is about to experience and what he promises will be the future reality for all those are in his kingdom. And so this is what he says. I've wanted to eat this supper with you before I suffer. I've wanted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is a meaningful time for Jesus. And so he says, after taking the cup and giving thanks, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What does Jesus saying here. He's saying that what they are doing in this moment is sort of a um, precursor to the feast, the great feast, that will be happening in the future. The wedding supper of the Lamb is what Jesus really longs for, but here in this moment, He finds comfort in in having a, a foretaste of that with His disciples But he wants to prepare them for the reality they're about to face. He wants to prepare them for what they are about to experience. And he says that what you need to know is that what you're going to experience in this lifetime, what is the the mark of this experience right now in this era, right, before the coming of the Lord, before the ushering in of the fullness of the kingdom of God, is an experience of suffering. Jesus says, I've longed to have this Passover with you before I suffer. And I tell you these things. I will not eat again of this Passover feast until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And he says, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's saying, I'm about to enter into a time of suffering. I'm about to enter into an experience of hardship, right? And this hardship is going to be empty of the kind of celebration and feasting and drinking that we are doing right now. Because I have to go to the cross. I have to die. And that's exactly what he then presents to his disciples. The second point, remember in the remembrance in the present. Listen to this. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. So Jesus presents the supper. And it's something that we um, are going to be doing this morning. It's something that we've done continuously throughout the church as as a token of remembrance in Jesus, remembrance of him. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you. I present this to you. Jesus says, this is for you, my disciples. This is for you. And many of us, maybe we don't recognize or maybe we don't realize. We've we've thought of this so often. We've read this passage so often. We've thought of this passage so often that we don't think about what is missing. If you go back and you read the story of the Exodus, part of the Passover feast was to slaughter a lamb, right? And they would take the blood of that lamb and they would put it on their doorposts. But another point of that Passover feast, another thing that was an instruction by God was, you must eat that entire lamb. You have to feast on on the lamb. You have to eat that entire lamb. Have you ever wondered why when Jesus gathered his disciples for the Passover? A Passover in which appropriate words and a recitation was always said about these elements, about these things that were at the table. They had significance and meaning to Israel's history tied to the exodus of Egypt, right? Do you not realize how shocked Jesus' disciples would have been that when he got up to present this feast, he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup, not of the old covenant, the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Right? Right? Would you ever wonder if the disciples were sitting around the table and saying, okay, we've got the the bread and we've got the wine. But Jesus, where's the lamb? Where's the main course? What are we going to eat? Are we just going to have bread and wine? What are we going to eat, Jesus? The Passover feast is supposed to have a lamb. It's the main course. It's the centerpiece. It's what you're supposed to eat. And they didn't realize that what he was trying to show them, what he was trying to teach them. As that all those Passover lambs before were pointing to him, he is the lamb of God. The lamb's not on the table because the lamb of God is there before them. And he's showing them in these elements the breaking of the bread. This is my body given for you. The pouring of the wine. This is my blood poured out for you. This is what is meant to happen. I am going to the cross. I'm going to suffer for your sake, for you. This is what he's trying to teach his disciples. The way of the kingdom of God is not like the other kingdoms of this world. The way of the kingdom of God is backwards to the way that we think things should go. We think things should operate. The symbol of the religion of Christianity is not a golden throne, it's a cross. It's a torture device. And the only reason, the only reason that down through the ages, the cross would remain the symbol of Christianity besides the mocking, besides the disgrace that comes with that symbol, the only reason that that would be the case is if the cross was at the very center in the mind of Jesus Christ. The centrality of the cross, the centrality of suffering. Yes, we have this promised future, right? Jesus is displaying this to them. He's saying, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's saying, I'm going to suffer and also After my ascension and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the age of the church, the church age, the age of the last days, it will, even though there will be many victories, it will be marked by the cross. It will be marked by suffering. And the end of all that is when we all gather together, when you're there with me in the new heavens and the new earth, and we feast. That's when I'll eat again. That's when I'll drink again. Otherwise, why is it appropriate for Christians to fast? If not because our bridegroom is not with us. So we remember in the present, but look. Verse 23, we see a couple of things happen. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Who would be the one that would betray Jesus? And I love how Luke juxtaposes these two realities, a moment of reflection. Who might it be amongst us that would betray our rabbi, betray Jesus? And then the very next verse. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. I want to know how that transition happened. Like, how did the conversation segue from Which one of us is going to betray Jesus to, actually, I'm better. I'm the greatest. But one thing you have to remember, right? We have to get it in our minds. That even now in this moment, as Jesus gathers together at the Passover feast with his disciples, even now as he says, I am going to suffer. And the only drink I'm going to have In my near future is the pouring out of the wrath of my Father on the cross where I take down every last little drip. But until the coming of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God, I will not drink in joy again. I will not drink in fullness. I will not drink in rejoicing and celebration. Even though Jesus is saying this, the popular belief about the Messiah at this time was that he was going to be a political king of Israel. Who would usher in back the glory days that would go far beyond and exceed, far beyond Solomon's glory. They believed an earthly, a physical kingdom was approaching. They walked with Jesus in very much part because they believed being connected with Jesus would be something that would bring them and provide them glory, would bring them uh, riches, would bring them prominence, would bring them importance. They thought this was the way forward, right? And we, we, we think, the disciples, how could they think this way, Right? But don't we also do this in our lives? Don't we also only interact with those we feel could benefit us? With those we feel could provide something for us that we lack, give us access? Don't we always say, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know? We connect ourselves to important people. Because we feel that that gives us importance. We name drop. Because we feel that our association with somebody who is popular, who is meaningful, or whom everybody knows, brings us some sense of that same glory and prominence. And so here are the disciples doing this. And Jesus gives them an important lesson. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. They look at those who are below them and say, my association with you benefits you. I, I, you serve me, right? But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest. And the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? This, Jesus asks As a rhetorical question, everybody knows that when you are at a meal, the person who is seated and being served is the one who is greater, right? But then Jesus says something very important. But guys, what did I do tonight? You see what he's saying? He's saying, You think that the kingdom of God is all about being associated with me because you think I'm going to usher in this physical, worldly, political kingdom, right? And so you're glad that you're having this Passover feast with Jesus, the popular guy of his day, the well-known prophet, and the miracle worker. All eyes are on him, and because they're on him, maybe sometimes you get seen too. And you're sitting at this table, and you're thinking, wow, we are the stuff, guys. We are the main people. We are the important people. Look at this great feast that we're having. And you forget one thing, that the guy that you think is supposed to be greater than everybody else is the one who served you the food tonight. He's the one that served you. Jesus says, But I am among you as one who serves. (coughs) Don't you get it? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be least, you have to be like little children. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be lowly. You have to suffer. You have to be like me. And what you're not seeing right now is that I'm about to show you the way of the kingdom of God. And the way of the kingdom of God, it's cross before crown. It is humiliation before exaltation. It is suffering before being lifted up. Suffering before joy. And so Jesus then says, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, even though he knows that they're all going to scatter when he's betrayed, when he's taken into custody. But then he says this, And I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me. So that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones. Judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus says, I want you to see what is before you. Yes, that promised kingdom is before you. That there will be thrones and there will be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And there will be a great feast. But what you don't understand. What you need to remember in the present right now is that the way to that the way to the promised future is through present suffering. The way to the crown is the way of the cross. Jesus, I'm, he's going to show them that. He's trying to prepare them for that. He's trying to show them, right? And what this all Communicates What this all says, this pointing to this fulfillment in the kingdom, but also through the path of present suffering, the future glory that's coming, but the way to that is through, through present hardship and trial and difficulty. Peter becomes sort of a, an example for all the rest of the disciples, or well, for all of us this morning. He becomes sort of a poster child of the way of the cross and how it will transform us if we let it. That whole conversation that Jesus says, promising them this great future, promising them these thrones and this great feast and that they're going to stand in judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Jesus understands what Simon, what Peter is about to go through. Jesus understands that Peter is going to be tempted by his own selfishness, by his own desire to preserve his own life, by his own cowardice, and by his own self-importance. And Jesus understands that when we fall for those lies, the reverse of the kingdom of God, the reverse of the nature and the character of the kingdom of God, when we fall for those lies about putting ourselves first, putting ourselves forward, we begin to listen to, we begin to fall prey to the ways of another kingdom. Satan. His kingdom. And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, I need you to know something. Satan has asked. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan has asked to get all up in your business. Satan has asked to to strip you down. Satan has asked to destroy your faith and to ruin you. But what is the defining distinction but i have prayed for you simon that your faith may not fail simon is about to experience the way of the cross he's about to go through a time when he faces his own sinfulness in fact when he says Jesus says, when you have turned back strengthen your brothers, Simon Peter replies, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I'm willing to do anything for you. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. You are about to see the fullness of your sin. You are about to be exposed to the reality, the depth of your wickedness. You are about to betray your dear friend, your rabbi, your Lord. It's going to happen tonight. And when that happens, Peter, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you so that your faith may not fail and so that through the weakness Don't you get that? The cross is weakness to the world. Through the weakness of your own failure in leadership. Through the weakness of the destruction of your own pride. Through the weakness, Peter, of coming face to face with how wretched you are. might become a leader in the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the way of suffering often for the Christian is by a continual revelation of the ways that we continue to struggle with sin, our own selfishness, our pride, our deceitful hearts. The way often in the Christian life that we die like Jesus is going to die is by dying to ourself, dying to our flesh, dying to our sin. The way to the promised future is through present suffering and often in our lives that present suffering is the mortification, the dying of the old way of life that Christ has purchased for us. So that the kingdom of God may come more alive in us. The new way of life, the new creature, the new person might come to life more in us. And here is the reality. As we go through this life and as we experience present suffering, as we experience trials and tribulations, often because we are faced with the reality of our own sin, our own wickedness, the things that are in our very own hearts, even though we've been redeemed and saved, right? And the reason why those things become for us an opportunity for transformation is because Jesus prays for us. Jesus prays for us. Do you understand that? Why is it that Judas, after betraying Jesus, goes and he hangs himself and he dies? But Peter, after betraying Jesus, turns and strengthens his brothers. Because to Judas, Jesus said, woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. And to Peter, Jesus said, I've prayed for you. prayed for you. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to purchase you new life. And through that, you're going to see, yes, that you are a sinner, but I'm going to be your Savior. And through what I am showing you, suffering first, then glorification, humiliation, then exaltation, Uh, suffering first, then joy, that you're going to see that what you're experiencing, Peter, in this moment, will be used for your good and for God's glory. Will be used to shape you more into the leader that the kingdom of God needs. Not one who is important, self-important. Not one who thinks that they are higher and greater and better than others, but the least of these. You'll see yourself as you truly are. And you'll see the cross in all its glory. You'll see the presentation of the Lamb of God. And you'll take it in because you'll know that you need it. Our promised futures purchased through present suffering. But there's one more thing that we should know is that it is through a meal that Jesus chose to communicate to us his work. And the reason why it's through a meal is because a meal must be self-appropriated. It's important, yes, that we see through the eyes of Peter what the Christian experience may be. But also, it is more important that we believe it for ourselves. That we look upon the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, and we say, I believe. And because I believe, I partake. Because it is in this feast that Jesus gather with his disciples before his crucifixion. That he presents to us this sacrament, this means of grace, that we might experience as Jesus and his disciples experienced, a foretaste of that coming feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. That even as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we might sense a bit of its bitterness of the hardship and the suffering that we currently experience, but that we might also begin to taste of the coming kingdom that was purchased in Christ's completed and perfect work. The coming kingdom that he's promised us. That as we eat this, we might, in one sense, be reminded of the suffering that our Christ experienced for us, but in another sense, remember and realize the resurrection which came from it. Two sides of the same coin. Yes, we must die to ourselves, but we must also come to newness of life. Yes, we must also consider the suffering of Jesus Christ, but we must remind ourselves that we are seated now in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Yes, as we partake of this Supper, we should consider the Passover, but we should also consider the great feast that awaits us in the coming new heavens and new earth. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time with your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have blessed it. We pray, Lord, that we would, as Peter, continue to learn what it means grow into your image to be like those who are in the kingdom of God to see ourselves as those who are lesser and not greater as those who serve instead of being served as those who experience present suffering so that we might one day enjoy promised future you've purchased for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.